please open your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we'll begin this evening. I know I said it this morning, but I would like to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And I don't mean anything by the title Fishers of Men, okay? We're going to be talking about fishing for men and women, okay? So, uh, last Monday, uh, Mondays are usually my day off. It's the day I've been forced to, to take off because I've been forced to take days off because I run myself ragged, I guess. And uh, I was helping out David Ames. We had done some plumbing over at his shop, and then uh, I got off in enough time to go fishing. You may not know this about me, but I really like fishing. I can't tell you anything about it, um, except for I know I can get a line, and I can tie my hook, right, and my weight and my bobber, and I put a, I don't know, a, a worm on it. You know, I, I just like being out there. I don't care if I catch something real big, uh, something real small. I don't, I, I'm not there to, to catch and eat. Uh, I like to catch and release. It doesn't matter to me. I'm a big fan of just the peace and the quiet. And so I got an opportunity to go fishing on Monday, and I went over to Indian Meridian, 10 Acre Lake and 10th, if you guys are familiar with the area. And uh, when you pull in that little gravel area and you take your little right down towards the lake, it starts to go off to the left, and right there in that corner is a little channel. And that's my spot. I don't know if anybody knows that, but if you ever see my truck out there, that's where you'll find me, and that's where I'll be running people off. And uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. But... Uh, that's, that's my spot. It's secluded. People don't really like to be there. And uh, I've had caught a few catfish there, but mostly I just go because it's peaceful and nobody spends any time there but me. And I pulled in and there was a truck sitting there and uh, there was a gentleman sitting in it and I wanted that spot really bad. But he was in his truck. He wasn't on the bank. So I went over there and I asked him. His window was down and I said, I said excuse me, sir, uh, are you going to be fishing this spot right here? And he said, no, I, I fish up and down the bank, so if you want this spot, you can have it. I was like, great, perfect. Well, I keep my stuff in my truck, and so I've unloaded, I'm starting to unload my stuff, and this gentleman gets out, and he starts unloading his stuff. And so we're just talking. We're just having a good time, figuring life out. And uh, then, then I find out that fishing is, this is only the second time he's done it since his wife passed away. That was the thing that they did together. And so this was particularly difficult for him. And so I start talking to him a little bit, and before you know it, I'm asking him if he's a believer. And he is. And uh, we start talking about it, and we get an opportunity to, to preach the gospel and to pray. Uh, he's not here. The gentleman's name is Art. And so uh, we, got to, we got to talking, and that was an opportunity. And... Uh, so we fished a little bit, and I see him going up and down the bank. He's doing his thing, and I'm sitting there, you know, doing what I like to do, and that's block out the world and catch tiny little fish. And uh, I was loading up, and believe it or not, he, start, he was coming over and loading up at the same time, you know, and I was like, well, this guy's going to think I'm crazy. Well, obviously he did. No, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but... Uh, I got an opportunity to continue talking to him at that point, and then we prayed again, and, and we went on. And at the end of this interaction, I felt something. I felt a satisfaction that I don't get when I'm up here in the pulpit, right? I get to, I get to talk to somebody. I get to preach to people who don't know 
what we know. I felt like I had done my job, right? We get this idea, you know, Jesus comes into our mind and he says, oh, you got to be here at this certain time for this thing and you just wait and you'll see it. But that's not what happened that day. What happened was I went fishing and an opportunity presented itself. And I had a choice. Am I going to take that opportunity or am I not? And I'm very glad that I did. Um, invited him to come to come to worship, bring his bring his kids, and uh, come to worship, sit with our family. Uh, I saw him in Walmart, uh, but I refrained from from talking to him because uh, we were in the same aisle. I wanted to see if he'd come up to me, and, and he noticed me. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and he turned his cart around and went the other way. So he must have thought I was crazy. But at the same time, he remembered who I was. He remembered the content that we talked about. And it had such an effect on him that he didn't want to go through it again, at least in that moment. Which might sound funny, but really, he had, that, that was basically it. He didn't want to talk about it again. And I get that. And this opportunity that presented to me, I believe, is a job that's presented to all of us. It's a job that fulfills my obligation to Christ, and it's an obligation that I took when I became a Christian. And that's what we'll be looking at this evening, very quickly, uh, because it's Mother's Day, and I get to spend a lot of time with with my wife, and so we're going to have about 15, 20 minutes here. But I want to look at the fishers of men. We know this story. We hear it all the time. We quote it all the time. But I want to hopefully bring something to you that's a little different than what you usually hear. When we talk about the fishers of men, at this point in Jesus' ministry, we always talk about, uh, we, have the, we get this image, I mean, that he's just walking down the beach, and uh, he's like, oh, look at these guys over there. Hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And we're like, oh, that's, that's a great story, that's really cool. When you break it down, you're like, wow, that's really strange. <laughs> why, would, why would you do that? At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been baptized, tempted, and he has begun preaching And if you read Matthew and Mark, like I just said, Jesus has begun uh, preaching before he calls for the disciples. And they don't shed light on how people are reacting or responding to Jesus' message yet in Matthew and Mark. We just know that Jesus' message is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Matthew. Mark will say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. And again, it seems strange when we read Jesus just walking by the Sea of Galilee, calling out people, and they're like, yeah, well, We'll drop everything we do and follow you. But Luke's account is quite different. When we read Luke's account, he gives much more information about Jesus after his ministry begins. And he begins with this statement in Luke 4, 14, where he says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. That's important information that Matthew and Mark leave out. Thank goodness all the Gospels are together so that we can compare them and get a full story. Mark states that Jesus was preaching the Gospel of God, but the key here that Luke puts in is it's not uh, here is not that it's the Gospel of God. It's that Jesus was now in the Spirit of God. He has the Spirit of God. And so we can conclude that what he's doing from this point on, what he's saying is what God wants him to say and do. And the response to his message, according to Luke, is well received. 
In fact, Jesus is now preaching and teaching in synagogues, and he's being glorified by all who hear his teaching. And then Jesus will return to his hometown. And uh, at first, his message seems to be a little well-received when he reads Isaiah 61. But then he reminds the people in the synagogue that God has shown favor on people outside of Israel when Israel is not worthy of God's blessings. And God will bless people outside of Israel. He reminds them of that. And they get mad, so mad, his own people. And they attempt to throw him off a cliff or a hill. Then Jesus will go to Capernaum and cast an unclean demon from a man in the synagogue. And the demon knows who and what Jesus is. Yet the people are only speculating still at this point. Jesus doesn't allow the demon to tell people. He knows Jesus' power, yet he doesn't let, Jesus doesn't let the demon be heard. Again, people get to speculate. They have to learn. They have to lean on Jesus' words and his teaching and what other people are saying he's teaching and doing. Jesus isn't just a known name in the country of Galilee after he casts out this demon now. Now he's a known name in the region. And the difference between country and region is that countries have defined borders and regions do not. And so you can grab a group of people while not getting an entire area. So there's more people than what is, is really being described as the country of Galilee. Now know who Jesus is. And then verse 38 and 44 of chapter 4, we find that Jesus seems to have a relationship with Simon Peter, something that we don't learn in our other Gospels. He heals Peter's mother-in-law before Peter was a disciple. And he just didn't go do it. Simon actually came and said, hey, on behalf, you know, please heal my mother-in-law. And I think that's, I think that's important to know that uh, Jesus has a relationship with Simon before he even steps on Simon's boat. Then Jesus will cast out demons, and he preaches as far as Judea, which is uh, about 70 miles from the Galilee area. And all that being said, I, I started there because I think it's important to understand that when Jesus calls his first disciples, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people think that Jesus is not well known, Jesus has a growing, a rapidly growing reputation. Jesus is already performing miracles, casting out demons. When Jesus calls them, he's not just calling people as he's going and they're just like, oh, that guy looks cool or whatever. He's actually already known. They know who he is. They know his name. They've heard of what he's doing. And when he calls them, they're like, that's Jesus. He called me. So now that that's a little bit in context... We'll read Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of, oh, I, uh, oh man, J, yeah, Gennesaret. But when I, when I typed it into to Google the other day for the, uh, for the actual pronunciation, it was completely different than that. And I wish I'd written it down now. Anyways, he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let, your nets, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now in the vein of John and Marty, I've got more than three points to make about this real quickly. Not quite 13, but not quite 40 either. But we have to see, we have to notice that from this point, Jesus has a specific style in which he teaches that we can read, when we read our Gospels, we'll see pretty much how he does. He likes to preach, teach, and confirm. That's what, it, that's what he does. So if you, can, you don't have to believe the, the preaching and the teaching, but he's going to confirm that what he's saying is true and from God by his miracles, right? That's why he had that opportunity. That's why he's able to do those. So in verse 1, people are pressing on Jesus as he's there. Is this because he's Jesus? I think part of it is that. But what's the scripture say? They want to hear the word of God. They want to hear this new message that they had not heard put this way before. It's really quite the same message. That's why teaching's important. That's why they have to draw and point to the, well, the Torah, the Old Testament, as we would call it, to show the correlations. That's why all throughout Scripture we have to fulfill this prophecy, to fulfill this Scripture, to fulfill this and that. People are hungry for the word of God out there. I don't know if you know this, but they are. They may not be ready for it. They may not know that they're ready for it. But people are hungry for it. And we'll move to verse 3. Jesus sees two vacant boats, and the one he gets into just happens to belong to Simon Peter, the same man who witnessed Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Is that a coincidence? Is there anything as a coincidence with Jesus? I don't, I don't like to think so. In fact, one of my very first sermons, believe it, believe it or not, five years ago, was about coincidences and how I don't believe in them. Continuing on in verse 3, we see that Jesus teaches the people the gospel of God. He seizes an opportunity that's there. Can you imagine people coming to you all the time, pressing in on you, not, not, not giving you any personal space, so to speak, following you all around the country, And instead of being angry, it even says in scripture, he often shows compassion on them and still teaches and preaches. In verse 4, when Jesus tells Peter to let out his nets, he's asking Peter and his men to do something to undo all the preparation that they had been doing the night before. Yet Peter respects Jesus and has his boat put out and his cleaned nets dirtied. In this area, the lake of Gennesaret or whatever, the, the Sea of Galilee, um, known today as the, the Lake of Tiberias. It's not really a sea at all. It's 13, it's 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide, and uh, it, was the, it was the center for fishing in the region, and there are really kind of three ways to do it. You could uh, fish from the shore with, with a method that we would basically call fly fishing today. You could throw nets from the shore, 
Or like these guys, you'd have a big, fat, heavy nets and boats, and you'd take them out to the deep and you'd drop them, and you would do most of that at night. And then you'd clean your nets in the day. You, they would get damaged. They'd have to be repaired. You'd want them to, to maintain their life. That's your livelihood. So these guys are cleaning, and they've gotten everything done, uh, or they're still working on it maybe. And Jesus says, hold on. Everything you just did, everything that you just worked on, let's get that back out, and we're going to use that again. And Peter respects Jesus enough to get his men and all his equipment out and go back out and drop his nets. And in verse 6, we see the result. It's that the nets fill and the men fill the boats with the fish until the boats begin to sink. This is the biggest catch of their lives right now. Uh, I was at uh, uh, Jenny and Jake Anthony's. I caught a 10-pound catfish. That's the biggest catfish I've ever, well, that's the biggest fish I've ever caught in my life. I couldn't imagine throwing out a net and bringing in so many fish that my nets start to break or that my, uh, that my boats start to sink, right? To them, this is their biggest catch, and it's a spectacle. People are astonished. In verse 8, what about Peter, though? Look at his response of the catch. Peter doesn't help fill the boats. What does Peter do? He drops immediately to his knees. See, he recognizes that those fish didn't come because they dropped their nets. They came because they listened to, the power, to God and his power, Jesus, and the power of God through Jesus filled those nets and filled those boats till they were sinking. I don't know why he didn't fall at Jesus' feet when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. That baffles me. I mean, he was in the room, right? The fever went away. She got up. She started serving. Why didn't Peter fall on his knees then? I don't get it. But at this moment, this is what Peter's supposed to be doing. This is, this is pr- supposed to be his response, I would think. Maybe he thought Jesus was lucky, but he knows now who Jesus is and what Jesus claims to be. And we see in verse 10, James and John, who before they were disciples, were partners with Peter. But now, because of what Peter's done, Peter respected what Jesus requested. Now we've got James and John into the mix. And so what we see here is they're they're witnessing what's happening, and now they want to be a part of it. And they're going to get to be a part of it. Two disciples are added later on. Continuing on in verse 10, and this is really what we're getting down to. Jesus offers them a job. Maybe it's an unorthodox way of saying it. But he's like, I've got something for you. I've got a job for you to do. You're not going to be fishermen anymore. You're going to be fishers of men. Well, what does that even mean? I doubt they really know at that point. But the idea behind it is that he's asking them to leave their livelihood, their job, for another job. One that they're not sure (laughs) that they're they're, they're not qualified for at this point. um, And and one that they're not even sure what it means. If someone told me that I'd be a fisher of men, I'd say, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. 
you probably should not talk to me. Ah, I'm serious. That's a weird phrase, right? Yet here in this context, for us on the outside looking in and reading it, we know what that means. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the same question that is being asked to us every day, every time an opportunity presents itself to spread the gospel. And then in verse 11, they leap at this opportunity. Can you imagine having the biggest catch of your life to where your boats are sinking and then you leave it all behind? I don't know. Part of me feels like it would be a lot more fun and easier to stay the talk of the town. But instead they leave it all behind immediately. They don't they, they just they bring their boats to the shore, they tie it off, and they leave it all behind for this new job. It's a story that we all know, and I can't bring much new stuff to it that you guys probably haven't heard in your lifetime. But I do believe that there is an a, uh, at least two applications that I would like to bring to us this evening with this. And the first op- application is being in Christ, being a Christian, is a job. It's not a lifestyle. And that's, hard, that's easy for me to say as a staff member. And it's probably easy as for, for Marty and, and Mike and anybody who, in a sense, gets paid to minister. But Jesus didn't come for paid ministers. He qualified fishermen, tent makers, plumbers. Sorry, I had to throw that one in. Uh, but it's not just a job. It's a, or, or, it's a job. It's not just a lifestyle. When you see an opportunity, just like if you were at work, you're going by. I, I remember when I was growing up, I, we worked at Sonic, right? That was the big thing. Everybody wanted to work at Sonic the ice, I guess. And uh, the, whole, the whole point was, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Right? Every job has rules. Every job expects you to work. And I found that in Christianity, there's so many opportunities presented to me that I don't take. Um, and it would really make things run better if I would do them. When I say run better, I don't mean the church itself. I mean in the sense of, uh, of our, the Christian lifestyle, of evangelizing to the community and to those around me. If I would just take those opportunities, things would go better, not just for me, but for them as well. And I have an obligation when those opportunities present themselves to do it to do the job set before me in Christ. Am I going to fail? Yeah, all the time. For every, for every art fishing story I got, I've got 40 other stories of missed opportunities. And then number two. I understand it's, not, it's part of our lifestyle, but it's not our entire lifestyle. But we also... Got to quit waiting on programs to reach people. I got to have a conversation. Uh, I'm, he can re- remain nameless unless he wants to out himself. But uh, I had a conversation the other day that uh, kind of struck me right, right in the chest. And I was, I was told that we don't allow people to serve 
because <laughs> we have too many programs. Wouldn't it be great if we just found out what you were good at and you just went and did it? That would be, that would be interesting. That would be great. Maybe not here in the, in the church. We've got to have some order. There's biblical proof for that. But when you're, you're out there during the week, we're out there during the week, and we go, oh, I don't have to do that. We've got a great evangelism program over here. Oh, I don't need to give them food. I don't need to give them money. I contribute to the Luther Service Center every, every week. You know? These are missed opportunities. Each individual doesn't have to rely on a program to serve, to do God's work, really. And... Uh, and I'm not saying programs are bad. Please don't take it that way. But in the sense that we stifle ourselves, we hold back for permission before we go and we serve. We shouldn't do that. God took, or Jesus, asked three men who had never preached the gospel that we know of to become fishers of men. All up to this point, Jesus had been preaching and teaching in synagogues. Why didn't he ask them to do it? Why didn't he ask the people that they themselves thought they would be qualified for that? I I don't have that answer. But I find it interesting that Jesus asked normal, everyday people who didn't spend all their time in the synagogue to do his work. And so this evening, as we come to a close... I want to encourage you to do God's work out there in the community, to do Christ's work, to show the love of Christ, to seize every opportunity available to you. I don't like saying the word job. But when I don't do, when I don't seize the opportunities that I believe the Lord has put in front of me, I fail him. And if I claim to be a Christian, I, I often feel like I'm failing at my job. If I'm not being a Christian, if I'm not proclaiming, he sent us out, uh, the apostles out in Matthew 28. And that's the same thing that we do. Every evangelism sermon goes straight to the Great Commission. Well, he gave that, he gave that Great Commission to regular old fishermen, regular old people. And we are regular old people. And so, as we end today, I want to encourage you again to seize the opportunities put in front of you. And I'd like to end with a question. Do you have enough confidence in Jesus and his message and in who he is to yourself be a fisher of men? I think that's a very important question that we should all ask ourselves. Because if you're not doing it, the confidence, the, the lack of confidence falls somewhere. Is it in yourself? Well, then you're placing your confidence in the wrong thing. Put your confidence in Christ and in God. Seize those opportunities. Whether you see immediate fruit or not, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just got to do your job. So as we end tonight, didn't get a chance to really preach the gospel, but I just wanted to bring some new points to an old sermon, (laughs) an old sermon, and I hope they're new, I hope there's something that you haven't
really heard before and, and helps you go on in your, in your life this week. So if you have a need from the church, if you need us to pray for you, if you'd like to confess, if you just need to be restored, if you just need somebody to talk to, the time is now as we stand and we sing.